We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 95. Scott, unfortunately, I think is this is the episode where we bury the 2016 Yankees. Losing six out of seven at this point in the season is probably not going to get it done, which means I think their playoff hopes, all of those dreams, which was a pipe dream for a while, but I think people were starting to get on the bandwagon. It might officially be dead. Maybe. <laughs> maybe Still not. going to go with maybe? Maybe. This team has been written off before. They went on uh, what seven game streak, and they lost six to seven. So who's to say a seven game streak isn't on the uh, around the corner? And the one thing that gives me hope, I guess, is is the uh, is the fact that everybody else in this race is not very good either. I don't know. And, the Mariners uh, won eight games in a row. Yeah, which means they're going to lose. They're going to go on a losing streak at some point soon. It's not going to last. They're not going to. I feel like they did that that eight game uh, winning streak a little too early, just like we did. Robbie so Cano, gonna, if they make the, the playoffs, season. if they make the playoffs, Robbie Cano is going to be your AL MVP. Mm, that's disgusting. <laughs> disgusting. Guess that contract. Guess that contract ain't so bad after all. Yeah. Well, now is not the bad time. We all know that. Now is not the bad time. Now is everybody should be happy and 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 in love with Robbie Cano at this point in Seattle. It's the the later. You know, two to three years that even are going to be just dreadful. Even though you say the words, maybe that they're still in the playoff hunt, I don't believe it. I hear no 
I hear nothing behind your voice that has any sincerity or any belief that you think the Yankees could still make the playoffs. I think you are finally defeated. They have knocked you down enough. These gut-wrenching losses over the last five, six days have been enough to completely kill your positive spirits. Yeah, see, that's where you're wrong. See, the the fact is, is and I, I've been watching, uh, and, and you and I have been, we haven't talked directly, I think, in the or, you know since a, a few days since that that brutal loss on Thursday night. But I've been uh, I've, I've seen some of your comments, I've seen some of your tweets, and I I know where your head's at. I don't think you know where mine is though. This in the sense only because I, I never really got all the way back up because I was never all the way back down either. I've always been kind of steady Eddie along this thing, and while I I I was hopeful that there was an opportunity, I wasn't gonna get, allow myself to be disappointed if they didn't get to that point. And that's, that's still where I am. I, you know, I still think that this is great. This is great for the kids. They're learn they're learning, they're playing some very valuable innings in big moments. They hit a, a big winning streak. Now they've gotten knocked down. Let's see if they can get back up and see if they can rattle off a, a few more and, and make it interesting again. Never know. Okay. Smash that's where I am. I get knocked I'm, down, I'm actually but I get up okay. again. Yeah, that's it. That's Listen, a beautiful 90s song. I agree with you that in the long term, this will be positive for all the young kids, uh, the ones that are still playing and the ones I know Judge is now injured. Uh, we're going to get to that in a second. Yes, you're probably right that in the long term, playing well in August and September is only going to be a positive thing. That does not change the fact that those losses, specifically Wednesday afternoon and Thursday night in Fenway, were two of the more heartbreaking losses that this team has had in the last few years. And it's because I am so, I got so invested in this team after the trade deadline. All of those kids sucked me back in, and I, and I fell back in love with that team. I didn't give a crap about the Carlos Beltran and the Mark Teixeira and the Brian McCann Yankees. I cared about the Gary Sanchez and the Starlin Castro, Dita Gregorius, and all the young kids, Yankees. Those were That was a fun team that we were watching in August and the first half of September. So when they go out and they absolutely rip my guts out on Thursday night, it's going to hurt. So even though I, I acknowledge the fact that that might help them in the long term, that doesn't change the fact that I was literally devastated after that loss on Thursday. Yeah, but some of the comments are directed directly at them. Like, I feel like your feelings are directly at them, like you're angry at them because they got you back in. Yes. you got They got you back <laughs> in. You're angry at them because the kids played well. So let, let's, let's backtrack. We went to the trade deadline. The trade deadline happened. We sold everybody, right? Beautiful. This is exactly what we wanted. They did everything we wanted. The management cooperated. The players cooperated. Freaking A-Rod cooperated and left town. Then all of a sudden the kids are playing and we're like, okay, well now – there's there's a possibility that these kids will you know they'll they'll play well who knows probably not but maybe and and then all of a sudden these kids are playing out of their minds a positive thing right like a very positive thing one that was not expected out of their minds and got back into this race somehow some way they were done buried everybody had them gone and then these kids played out of their freaking minds and got back in the race and then what happened the the I guess the the inexperience showed the immaturity showed uh, the fact that they're playing longer than they've probably ever played in their entire lives has showed uh, all these things have culminated into this losing six of seven they ran into some good teams at a bad time and and the fact that that you could be angry at those kids who got so you know so much good experience and actually de- delivered 
to, to get your hopes up, to me, makes no sense. No. It just doesn't make any sense. You're kind of wrong. You're partially right. You're partially partially. Oh, I'm wrong. very right. I'm, I'm all right. I'm all mad right. at myself for allowing them to suck me back in. I should have just treated it like you treated it, where it's all gravy. It's all house money. And whatever the kids do is great. And I understand that they're probably not going to get it done in the long run. I got sucked back in, though, and I truly believed that this team could make the playoffs. And I and shame yourself. on myself. Yes, shame on myself for allowing that to happen. Okay, well, that, that's better. <laughs> that that makes it a lot better. But I'm also that makes pissed it a lot better. The, the fact that it's, that it's a personal issue. I'm pissed at them because they they ripped well, my guts see, out. See, there it is again. There it is again. Here's I, the undertone. I'm, I'm pissed at them. I'm pissed at myself. It's fifty. It's a fifty-fifty. You should split. only no no no. This you should only be angry street. at yourself. You Rooting did this to for yourself. The Yankees is a two-way street. No, no, it's not. You did it to yourself. The fact that they got back into this race, if they if they pulled something off, it would have been a, it would have been a freaking. Like one for the ages if they had gotten I in the playoffs. Miracle. I understand One that. for the ages. Yeah. It yeah. Been great. So that's something you can't get disappointed. I'm like, holy crap, I can't believe they are actually in this position to make me feel this way. That is awesome. No, that I is something I didn't get, expect. I can still get upset when it doesn't happen because I am yeah, it emotionally It just depends invested. on where you're directing your anger. I'm emotionally It depends invested. on where you're directing your anger. So you're telling me that last year Mets fans were were okay with losing the World Series because they were they were lucky to be in that place in the first place? No, they that's, didn't, that's they didn't a totally different it. scenario. It's not a totally a very different, different scenario. I understand the stakes are higher being in the World Series, but no one expected them to make the World Series. When they traded for Yoenis Cespedes at the trade deadline, they were lucky to make the damn playoffs. And they went on an epic run. They steamrolled in the playoffs, and they made the World Series. And then they had their freaking guts ripped out in five games, and they were devastated. I the know Mets it's did not stakes, trade but their entire team at the trade deadline. Then all of a sudden, these these you know four pitchers came up and the Mets came out were of the blue. A mediocre not what 500 team. It's a very different scenario. For 81 and 81. It's not. It's not that dissimilar. All I'm trying to tell you is, even if you have low expectations, the team can bring you up to high expectations, and you are fully invested again. And that can happen. That's oh, what no happened doubt. with a lot of people. I, I'm fully. I was fully invested as well. But the point is, is that I'm not going to overreact to when they actually don't do well. I knew that that was around the corner. So it didn't I knew upset that the, you. You're telling me thir- Wednesday. I knew that Thursday the potential of that you. was around the corner. No, are, are you kidding me? Thursday night was was gut wrenching. Right. It was horrible. Right. It was horrible. So how are you but, not mad? How are you not upset about Thursday night? I don't I, get it. I was upset. I don't get how you can wake up the next morning and say, oh, you know what? Who cares? It's just house money anyway. That's not the point. The point is, is I'm not mad at these kids for for sucking me back in literally and then mad dropping my heart. It's not that's not the way it went at all. I'm not literally not, not mad even at remotely. The kids. Not mad was, at Gary Sanchez. I'm not mad at Luis Severo. I'm not <laughs> mad at the kids. Literally. I mean, obviously not Gary Sanchez. He's been ridiculous. I'm mad overall at the Yankees for sucking me back in, and also I'm no, mad at you myself. already admitted that that's you, not them. It's both. No, it's you. It's, it's all you. All right, we're getting we're getting really down a rat hole here. Before we do that, because we're not done talking about Thursday night, because honestly, that was one of the worst losses regular season of my lifetime. Before we get to the that, way it though, went down, it was just absolutely gut wrenching. We're gonna get to, to it be, because of the lead. Yeah, because of the lead and and what happened, you know, with the decisions. I mean, there's just so many things to talk about that night. Um, but yeah, we're gonna I mean, talk about them all. <laughs> Before we do that, though. Last week, we did not dedicate an episode because you and I could not find anything for number 94. We've got something for number 95, though. And if anyone has something for 96 for next week, please tweet us at Yankees Podcast. We will be sure to give you a shout-out uh, for your Twitter handle, and we'll use the stat or fact or whatever it may be. Here's number 95. Aaron Judge 
is done for the season, unfortunately, with an oblique injury. He suffered it Tuesday night on a gigantic swing, and you could see him grimacing right after the swing. So he ends the year with 95 plate appearances, and his final numbers are not good. 179 batting average, 263 on base percentage, and then a 345 slugging with three home runs, 42 strikeouts. Pretty much struck out half of his at-bats. 50% of the time, it's insane. Kind of want to talk about the positives and negatives looking at Aaron Judge's five, four weeks, whatever it was in the majors, pretty much four weeks, right? Um, Positives. For me, that stood out. Even though his batting average is 179, to have a 263 on base percentage is actually pretty decent. It shows that uh, he's got a decent eye at the plate. And um, if he can get that batting average up to even 250, you got a 350 on base percentage is pretty good in today's game. Um, he has big power. I mean, two of the three home runs that he hit were over 440 feet, so mammoth home runs. Uh, we knew that, and I was out, honestly pretty impressed with the play he uh, had in the field in right field. Yeah, I think the I think the biggest positive for me was was the mental makeup. It seemed like he never it seemed like he never really got too far down with his struggles because he was struggling very badly. I mean, you mentioned the 42 Ks. That's 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 a number that absolutely the the um you know the ratio needs to decrease by substantially uh, you know for him to succeed in this league and probably has to do it in the, I'd say in the first half of next year for him to, uh, to you know to stick in right field for the entire year at least with the regular at bats. This is a guy that we know has a long swing. Uh, you know he shortened it when he got to AAA because he was struggling also with the with the strikeout. But like you said, he's got a good eye. The the problem is that he just can't hit that breaking ball. And he really needs to to work on, you know, his uh, his approach with the breaking ball. I think, and and you know, I think you had talked about this earlier. You had mentioned something, uh, a key on him. One of his, one of the things that he started doing was doubting himself and taking too many pitches. And Definitely. I think you're absolutely right in the fa- in the fact that he needs to start pouncing on these fastballs. He needs to look for fastballs, and if he gets something, if there's a mistake, he needs to jump on it. And that's where he's going to make a living. Yeah, I actually put that as one of my negatives. Uh, was that he wasn't aggressive enough early in the counts. If if he's on a zero zero count or a one zero count and he gets a fastball in the middle of the plate, don't take it, hit it, pummel it. Right. I mean, the, he's not there to walk. He's there to hit the ball four hundred feet. So I think that's absolutely something he needs to work on. And then he won't even get to the breaking ball. He's never going to be a hitter that is not going to strike out a lot. He's going to strike out. That's what happens when you're six seven. The strike zone is gigantic. It's hard for him to cover the lower half outer part of the plate that's always going to be the case but if he can run into 30 home runs he's a valuable player um he so like yeah he looked timid at times but but you said about his makeup and i think uh andrew marchand who writes for espn wrote something this week about how judge kind of showed leadership in the clubhouse and as soon as he came up he kind of had a calming presence in the locker room he took over the music duties from aaron hicks he called him dj judge so a dude coming up rookie rookie year, and he's kind of making a name for himself in the clubhouse. Some of the veterans, Headley and McCann, both talked about him in high regard, said that he ha- is very confident, but not in a cocky way. It's more of like a calming influence on the locker room, which is good. And uh, they kind of compared it to how the clubhouse is more fun and relaxed than it was versus when Beltron and A-Rod and Jeter and all those guys were there. Yeah, I mean that that makes sense. Only just because I think when you have a bunch of young guys, it's just a it's a more 
engaging and fun atmosphere. I mean, all these guys are there for the first time, so they're they're experiencing a lot of these things together for the first time. So I think that just kind of breeds, you know, positivity and just, you know, uh, that exuberance that we've talked about. The the fact that, you know, I mean, he's such a big dude that he's such an overwhelming presence. And the fact that he is, you know, has a calm demeanor, can, you know, he talks about the way he plays in such a, I don't know, it's a, it's a, he just seems like a really smart guy as well. I think it, it takes people, it takes people back a little bit with the fact that he's not just, you know, this, this big overwhelming personality also just because of his stature. So he's almost like a gentle giant in the sense. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously it's done well in the clubhouse. I mean, taking over the music duties and things like that, that's, that's something that's real cool. I think, I think having the young kids come in and, and, and do things like that and, uh, and, you know, win over the, the veterans is a big deal because it, I think it talks about them as, as, uh, as players and as people too. He's got a lot to prove, though, in the first half of next year. Yes, and he does. Cashman said that it's not a guaranteed spot for Aaron Judge out of spring training. He needs to prove himself in spring training. There's no absolutes. The quote was, he'll have to earn his way on like everybody else next year. There are no absolutes. So if Judge stinks in spring training next year, there's a chance he doesn't make the team. And he's going to be 25 years old next year. So I know he's still a prospect, but at the same time, he's no longer a raw kid. He needs to be developing on the field he needs to be it needs to start materializing on the field i think the fact that he has shown a history of struggling every time he moves up a level is actually encouraging the fact that this is kind of a known commodity right the fact that we know he was going to struggle he yeah. struggled so make adjustments next year and he needs to he, he's going to have i believe the whole first half of next year to prove himself i don't think the yankees are going to give up on him early but if he's Thinking, come June, they're probably going to have to go in another direction, whether that's trade him or start playing him in reserve time or start moving him down to AAA. Something's going to have to happen if he really stinks next year. Yeah, well, I certainly don't think they're going to trade him, even if he has a bad first half. I, I think at that point you'd be selling way too low, and I just don't think they're. I mean, they've they've come this far with him that they're they're not going to be giving up on a guy like that. But there's a couple things that to me, uh, are, are sticking out in my mind just as I'm thinking about this now. And one, first of all, in spring training, there's going to be a ton of outfield uh, there's outfield competition for, for those spots. I mean, there's, there's a, guy, a lot of guys. I mean, you even look into AAA with, uh, with Clint Frazier. We, you know, we all think that he's, he's definitely not going to be up next year, at least not in the first half. Um, but you never know. I mean, what if he gets off to a really, really hot spring and, and he makes it a very difficult decision? You just, you just never know. Like you said, it's guaranteed. The one thing that... that you know, we've always been praising his his mentality and, and the way he approaches things, and the the fact that he knows that the struggles, while early, are are part of the process. I, I just kind of I, I hope that his mentality is not to almost expect the struggle, and and just be like, okay, well, I'm struggling. That's what's supposed to happen. That's so that's what has happened. Rather than rather than really really you know grind and get get angry that the struggle is is continuing. And, and uh, you know, doing everything that he possibly can to get out of that struggle. I just hope it's not something like, okay, well, this is part of the process and I'm just going to continue to do what I do because it's going to naturally come out of it because that's what's always happened. Right. You know, I, this is a big jump. Triple A to, to the majors obviously is the biggest jump. And, you know, I don't think that's going to be the case. It's not going to be as easy. I mean, he's going to have to work double the time, I think, to really, uh, you know, make it, you know, make it a success. So I, I, I do hope his mentality is positive in that way where it's it's very much forward thinking in the, in the way that he has to adjust 
Right. There's a certain amount of time where him sh- still showing confidence, even though he's struggling, is fine and encouraging. But right. to a certain point, it's going to start to get annoying. And exactly. If, if he's batting 200 and it's halfway through the season and he has 100 strikeouts and he's still saying it's going to come, it's going to come. Well, you need to start to prove it eventually before we keep giving you a pass. Right. Uh, it's absolutely right. Uh, so that's definitely one of the main things to look for in spring training in the first couple months of next season is how Aaron Judge starts to develop. Um, and it sucks that he's out for the rest of the year because it did seem like they were going to let him continue to go through the growing pains this year, and it would have done him a lot of good to continue to do that. Uh, speaking of more injuries, unfortunately, it seems like Castro and Ellsbury, there's a very real chance they're done for the season. Castro suffered a hamstring injury on Saturday, and Ellsbury suffered a knee injury. And with 13, 14 games to go in the season, um, you probably don't push those guys, right? Yeah, you definitely don't want to. You definitely do not want to, you know, have the possibility of this injury becoming a long-term thing. I mean, especially with, especially with Ellsbury, and we know how fragile he is, and the injuries that he's had. Seems like he's actually been relatively durable this year. So you definitely don't want to, uh, you know, ruin that and go into spring of 2017 with him, you know, rehabbing an injury at that point. You want him to be completely healthy going into the spring, and then Castro, same thing. I mean, hamstrings are funny in the sense that. They, they linger. They seem to linger quite a bit. So um, it was a grade one. So hopefully he can come back from that. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It, you know, if this, uh, especially what happens tonight, we're recording this before the Sunday night game. If uh, if they are to lose tonight and, and this this continues, then yeah, the shutdowns are going to be, in, uh, you know, they're imminent. They're, they're going to happen sooner than later. Yeah, a little behind the scenes for you. We were talking about when we would record this week because of the Sunday night game. <laughs> And we were kind of we were gonna think about doing it after the game. This was back on Thursday before we knew what the results were. The first three games it was like, all right, well, let's see how the first three games go. And if it's a uh, the Yankees either won all three games or won two out of three, then maybe it could potentially be a huge game Sunday night. But at this point, the Yankees are trying to salvage a four game series, and I think you and I both agreed that recording before the game was pretty okay, considering how crappy they've looked in the first three games. Oh yeah, I mean, old man Ryan kicked in too when you tried to re- tell me you wanted to yeah. record at midnight. I wanted to record at eleven thirty at night, and you acted what are you like talking it was about? three in the morning. It is three in the morning. I'm worthless these days. If I go to if if I'm if I'm up too late, it's just a, it's just the too body late. is changing. Twelve thirty at night's too late for you. Oh yeah, because I'm up. I mean, it doesn't matter what time I go to bed. I'm still up at five thirty six in the morning every day. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the problem. It's not like I can sleep in. So you pretty much went from being like, I, is there a point in life where you go from like 29 to 30 and then all of a sudden you're now up at five in the morning every day? Yeah. I mean, I'm not up at five in the morning every day. It's like, I have a dog that's up at six that, that she's like my alarm clock every single day. It's ridiculous. I cannot get her out of the habit, but yeah, no, there's a point. I mean, I don't go to like the, I don't go to the bars anymore. I don't, I don't like do every Friday, Saturday night. So there's like a, and for me it was very abrupt. It was like, all right, I'm sick of this. I'm not going to do this every day. I'm not going to do this every weekend anymore. And that's when uh, that's when things started to change. But well, I drank a lot in my 20s. I mean, I, <laughs> I I really took advantage of that. So <laughs> you enjoy your 20s. I did, and yeah, I had a little too much fun. Um. So speaking of those games, let's talk about Thursday. We already kind of talked about it, but it's probably going to unfortunately define the 2016 Yankees. Is Thursday's game? Yeah. I honestly put it up there with the 04. Veritek Arod brawl game, which the Red Sox walked off with Bill Miller against Mariano Rivera. I was at that game at Fenway Park. 
with my dad. And I remember sprinting out of Fenway Park with my dad. And he turned to me and he's like, I have a bad feeling about this season. Um, obviously, we know what went on to happen. But I put it up there with that loss. I mean, a regular playoff losses are obviously different. But as far as regular season losses go, I don't know how it gets any worse than Thursday night. It was bad. I mean, it was bad in the sense because it was the beginning of the series. It was a big series that the Yankees were, were looking to take advantage of this. I mean, we're looking at the, the AL East leader, and we can do something about it. That, that was the mentality at that point. You're going in with a 5-1, right? It was a 5-1 at that point? Or, no, well, it was 5-2 it was, going at that I mean, point. it was 5-1 at one point. It was 5-1, but it was 5-2 in the ninth. It was 5-2. So you're walking in and like, okay, we got this. Um, you know, <laughs> At that point, I think when, when the inning started – to me, I, I thought Batances was not available at that point. Yeah, and uh, and they were just gonna and Jordy was just gonna mix and match, and um, yeah, I mean absolutely, it's it's it was a gut wrenching loss. There's no doubt about it. It was a it was a terrible loss, and it set the tone. And you could just feel the fact after they lost that game that the rest of the series was not going to go well. Oh yeah, once they lost Thursday, it was I wrote the rest of the series off. I don't care. I know they were leading on Saturday, but it didn't matter. I mean Thursday was one of those losses that punches you right in the gut, and it's hard to recover. And you're absolutely right. The fact that Joe Girardi starts the ninth inning with Tommy Lane and Blake Parker in a safe situation at Fenway Park trying to set the tone for a series, I absolutely agree with you. I figured Betances is not pitching tonight. And then right. I see him warming up. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing, Girardi? How do you not give Betances the clean inning? We know how he struggles with when runners come out, when he comes in with runners on base, especially... We've seen over the last week because he struggles to throw to bases and also he can't really hold runners on. I believe it's 18 of 18 base stealers are successful against him. So you do everything you can to give him a clean inning. And I know Girardi was probably thinking, well, he's thrown a lot this week and he's tired, so I want to maybe only have him pitch two outs. He was trying to get one. He was but trying to get one on You cannot them. try and pull a fast one at yeah. Fenway Park in a, in a safe situation in the first game of a four-game series. That is the most pressure of all pressure situations. You have to go to your best guy in that situation. I want nothing to do with Tommy Lane and Blake Parker on the mound in the ninth inning. My only problem with with Girardi that that whole with that ninth inning the way he handled it was, I mean it's 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 a very big problem, but it's it's the one problem. If you're going to go in with that in that inning and Batances is not available, then you know what you mix and match. You do what you got to do to get out of that inning, get out of that inning, but. That means Batantis is on the shelf. Like he is done not coming in no matter what. If there is any inkling of Batantis coming in, you got to start the inning with Batantis. There's just no doubt about it. The fact that he didn't uh, just screwed the entire night. And, you know, he's been, he's, he's been doing the, you know, when the, 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 there's a, a pinch hitter come up, lefty, lefty, righty, he burns a guy, and then he goes and burns another guy because of the, there's a pinch hitter. He's constantly doing this type of stuff. Well, he loves you know, when the rosters expand because he's got yeah. an extra five guys to work with. Oh, it's just more overthinking. It's ridiculous. But, but Blake Parker, Tommy Lane, if you're going to go in with these guys and those are the guys that you're starting inning with, you better figure out a way to do it with those guys. Don't, don't show me Batantis because then you're showing me you had a better option before you got to those guys. And that's going to make me very angry. And that is what made me so mad about that. You get Batantis in there. Uh, he struggles. I mean, obviously, the, the very fresh uh, loss against the Dodgers the night before was was right there with him. And he just hadn't been throwing the ball well. You could see the breaking ball wasn't biting. He was leaving that up in the zone. He wasn't getting a call for strike. There were a couple of balls in there. That last one to Hanley, uh, to me, looked like a strike. Uh, the check swing? 
the check swing, and then there was one, um, I think that at bat before that, there was a, a, no, it was the first pitch. It was the first or second pitch of that of that at bat as well that I thought was a strike yeah. that was not called. Well, it's also a situation where you could clearly see Betances had no confidence in his fastball. And right. he was well. They were sitting fastball. That's what they were. They were just waiting for him to throw the fastball. Well, I mean, they were taking, sl- but he was using his slider like his fastball. Right. Um, well, I think he's because they were sitting on it. Yeah, but but it's it. That's okay if your slider's working. If well, the breaking ball is actually breaking and it's not just you know rolling over flat at the top of the zone, because that's what it did the entire the entire night. He didn't break one ball off. Well, and then, and then there was a cross up too. There was even a cross up on the on the home run. If you look at yeah. the replay of Gary Sanchez he flinching, it was a slider. yeah, he thought it was a breaking ball and it was a fastball coming. Total, yeah, total disconnect. It was probably it's probably a situation where Batances was mentally half somewhere else. Um, right. So, but it just sucks that uh, unfortunately the two losses that are going to define the season and probably knock the Yankees out of the playoffs Wednesday and Thursday come on to Batances' shoulders. The Wednesday game when he imploded in the ninth inning, Castro made the error, and then he ended up shot-putting the ball over Sanchez's head. Um, Can't throw to the bases. It's infuriating. I will never understand how a pitcher can throw 98 miles an hour on the corner of the plate from 60 feet away but can't throw it 75 miles an hour to a base. I just don't. And then on on Thursday night, he did that underhand little little shovel pass to, uh, to Sanchez at home plate. To right. uh, to get it out, but he, and then he had a there was a little chuckle after that. Like you see what I did there, I underhanded it. I'm not going to throw it overhand. Well, yeah, he he has a he has a problem. He's got a little Chuck Knobloch situation going on with the with the throwing. Like do you remember John Lester had that same situation this year? Do you yeah, at the beginning of the year he couldn't throw to bases. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how the how how it gets in your uh, in your brain like that. Um, so of course it sparked people overreacting or maybe not overreacting to Batances' struggles. We got a bunch of mailbags on Batances, so instead of doing them at the end of the show, let's do them right now. Uh, maybe, do you want to just read all of these and then we can address them all uh, after? Um, for, sure. First one comes to Jay, uh, Jay Collier on Twitter. He says, regarding Thursday's loss, who is more to blame for the ninth inning, Joe or Batances? Also, is Batances being overused or has he just lost confidence in his own stuff? Actually, you know what? Let that specifically asking question. Let's address that right now. Yeah. Uh, uh, put the blame pie, Joe and Batances, for Thursday. I, I, I don't know. I, I have I have a very difficult time putting it all on the manager. I, I think he he absolutely led to the the fallout. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, players have to execute. The fact of the matter is that Batances did not execute at all, and he and he just he wasn't good. Um, do I think Joe should have started him with a clean inning? Absolutely, I should have think. But who's to say that he wouldn't have walked the first two and then been in a, a similar situation? Because that very well could have happened with with the way he was throwing. So I gotta go both. I mean, I don't agree with the way that Joe did it. That you know worked the ninth inning, but at the same time, you know, Patances has to be mentally tough and has to execute the pitches at that point. You gotta win that game. I mean, you you cannot you cannot sneak out of that with with the way that it went down. And I have to place a lot of it on Patances as well because of the way that it. It happened with Hanley and seeing the cross up between Sanchez and Batances, something wasn't right there. There was there was definitely something not right in his head. And uh, I got to believe that it was on Batances and not Sanchez as far as the cross up. I'm going 30% Joe, 70% Batances. Yeah. 30% Joe because you you put you have to put your players in the best position for them to succeed. And the situation that Batances most succeeds in is a clean inning. And he didn't do that. So that's his 30%. But 
you come in with one runner on base and a three-run lead and one out, you got to get two more outs. You can't give yeah. up five runs. So that right. 70% Patances, he looked horrible. Um, yeah, he's probably overused at this point. I mean, no pitcher in baseball, relief pitcher, has pitched more than Dellen Batances since two th- the beginning of 2014. The dude is a workhorse. And we saw it last year in September. Remember he kind of yeah. struggled last year in September? He's probably getting a little tired. So. Well, and that was one of the big things when we had the uh, the other two guys, when we had Chapman and we had Millers, that we were like, oh, well, these all three guys are going to be fresh when it comes to September. This is going to really help everybody out. But Tantis is not going to be that overworked guy at the end of the year again. It's going to be, you know, more of a, you know, it's going to be spread around a lot more at the end of the at the end of the game. So this is really going to help at the end of the season. And yes, it would have if the season played out that way and the actual and the Yankees could actually score some runs early in the year. But the fact of the matter is, when the trade deadline came, everybody got shipped out. Patances was the guy, and he was kind of the only guy. I mean, yes, uh, Clippard came in and pitched well. Uh, Warren had pitched well early. I mean, to me, he's been horrible lately. I mean, the guy's just been look like batting practice. Yeah, but we might be Patances seeing is the why only guy he you was, could trust. Might be seeing why Warren was in AAA for the Cubs. Yeah, he's looked bad. He's he can't get anybody out. I mean, no one's fooled by him at uh, this at this point in the season. Came came in in that Thursday game with a with a four run lead in the eighth inning. Served up a home run to Ortiz. Yep. Um. Yeah, he's looked really bad, and uh, he's also looked. I mean, wild pitch on Saturday as well. So, um, the next question comes from Rob, or the next mailbag. He says the Yankees traded the wrong guy. They should have kept Miller and traded Betances. Betances is a setup guy, not a closer. Not because he blew the 5-2 lead, but because he panics and can't even throw to a base. He does not have the tools to be a closer. Uh, We'll address that last part about him not having the tools uh, with the next few mailbags, but do you think they traded the wrong guy in trading Andrew Miller? No. They traded the right guy because what they were looking for is value and return, and Andrew Miller was going to bring back the most value and the most return for a player when they were when they were basically selling to to load up the minor leagues. Dylan Batances is a guy that's controlled for a while. He's younger. No, they they, well, they I gave think, up the right guy at that point. I think you could have gotten equal. I think you could have got Clint Frazier for Dylan Batances. I don't know. Yeah, he doesn't I mean, have the track record as Andrew Miller though. He doesn't have the save situations. He's not a. He wasn't. He, he wasn't doesn't a have the at that point. saves that Andrew Miller has. But he's. Actually, I think that means something. He's I think actually that absolutely means something. But he's actually to especially to a team like Cleveland, he's more attractive because he's controlled for cheaper money. He's controlled longer for cheaper money than Andrew Miller. Not when you're trying to win now. Not th- when you're I trying think. to win right now, and you have a guy that needs to lock down the very end of the ball, ball game, and you know is a proven commodity at that because Dylan Batances at that point was not that guy. But the Indians have been using Andrew Miller not as a closer. He's been pitching in the 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th. It's actually pretty amazing how Terry Francona has been using Andrew Miller. He's kind of like his fire extinguisher anytime there's a big situation. And I wish Joe Girardi would do this. And I am pissed off about Joe Girardi for not doing this on Saturday. But Andrew Miller comes in and kind of calms the game down whenever there's a situation. So they're not using him as their everyday closer. I know that, but that's that's a that's a Tito Francona thing. That's not the that's not the general manager going out looking for value and looking for a specific guy. I mean, when he's in the building, he's used it a different way. That's the manager. That's that's the manager. I mean, how much input does the manager have at the trade deadline? Probably slim to none. You know, I'm sure they'll they'll talk to him about certain guys, but it's not the way that they approach it. It's just it's the the fact that Andrew Miller is a proven commodity at the end of the game. He's definitely got more of that 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 demeanor. Um, if I were to put, to put these two guys next to each other and say who's the better closer, I'm going to give it to Andrew Miller every day of the week and twice on Sunday because I've seen him do it a hundred times. The guy never, ever, ever, ever seems rattled, and 
you know, he's he's a commodity that's proven. And to me, that's more of a value. So that's why I think they're, they they would have gotten less for uh, a Batanzas. I don't think they traded the wrong guy because Andrew Miller is uh, only locked up for another year and a half. But I disagree with you that I don't think they could have gotten equal value for Dylan Patances. Um All right. So Rudy G says, hey, guys, that one on Thursday hurts. I watched the game before jumping on a red-eye flight, and the guy sitting next to me had a Red Sox shirt. I was ready to punch him in the face until I realized he was a fake fan and had no idea what just happened. He was kind of big, a uh, big country guy from Kentucky anyway, so I felt sorry for him wearing that stupid shirt. Anyways, we when do we talk about Dellen not being the guy to close? There is no doubt he is sick when he's on and makes batters look silly, but what, uh, but what does it matter if he can only do that against the Twins in a low-pressure situation? I watch a lot of games with my 13-year-old kid, and even he turned to me earlier in the season and said, I don't think Dellen can be a closer. How many times does he have to come in and walk the first guy? I know Girardi and his teammates are saying last night's loss is not on him, but I think they're just being good teammates. The last two nights are totally on him. He's talking about Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, but what about our alternatives? I think Severino might be an alternative, but I know they want him to start. Um, and he goes on to compare him to Mariano in 95-96. And he says, can't wait for their ep- your episode celebrating ring number 28. Well, that might be a while. But, okay, so there's a few things in here, I guess, that, that we can address in the sense that, I mean, I do think that Dylan can be the closer, absolutely. I mean, this is a guy that's that's really was thrown into the job uh, this year at the end of the at the trade deadline, and and you know overall has done a has done a good job. Yes, he's had some blemishes lately, and they were big situations. So you know some people will probably look more into that. I, I personally don't look as much into that. I, I I like to see more of a larger sample size, and I see the way that the guy is handling himself because he's he's honestly I've always had the the impression of Dylan Batanzas as a guy who has been cool, calm, and collected. Um, I, I I understand the uh, you know the throwing to the base thing. I mean that that's got to be addressed absolutely because it's an issue. Um, but I, I absolutely think he's got the you know the moxie to be a closer. Yeah, I mean, where were these people chirping when he was perfect in August for close situations? Yeah, right. Um, I think it's well. Pro- I think a lot of people judge it on big situations, you know, and they overreact to that. Yeah, but there was plenty of big games in August when the team was. On a win streak, uh, not as big as Thursday in Boston, but he's he looks fried. He's he looks like he's pitching with sixty percent capacity. So I understand yeah. that he's getting hit. Uh, it sucks that it seems like every year he's at in September on his last leg. I think maybe they need to worry about that earlier in the season. Um, and it's a lot. He's pitched a lot of innings, like I said, over the last three years. Uh, so I think it's less about that he can't do it and more about he's just tired but at the same time that that maybe that's an issue maybe maybe he cannot withstand an entire year if we're going to talk about that and the fact that this is the second year now that he's been exhausted in september and really early on this year he had a lot of work that was spread up spread amongst other guys granted they were being used quite a bit because the team was struggling and there were a lot of tight games but i mean if if we're going to talk about where we're concerned I'd say that would that would right now probably be at the top of my list of, of you know the 
you know, if he can handle a full season and be effective at the end of the season, that I think is a legitimate argument and, and, and a discussion that can happen if this guy has the you know physical skills to actually endure an entire season and be effective when you need him the most at the end of your regular season and then into the playoffs. That to me is is probably the biggest point. Absolutely, and maybe it, and it's it decreases his value if you have to spare his innings in April, May, and June. Yeah, uh, especially as a closer. Uh, Robin Lett asks, do the Yankees need to make a move for Chapman or Davis in the offseason? And then we also have a similar question from Joe's McFly. He says, even though the pen uh, is still dominant, would you still sign Chapman? What about the other bullpen arms? I think he asked that question before the meltdown on Thursday. Uh, Interesting, though. Did you see that Ken Rosenthal stat? I think he tweeted it on Wednesday. Um, He said, Chapman Miller, since leaving the Yankees, have a 1.83 ERA and 39 and a third innings pitched. And Clippard and Warren, since joining the Yankees, have a 1.82 ERA in 39 and two-thirds innings pitch. So essentially the same stats. And I know ERA isn't necessarily the best stat to measure for a bullpen guy because strikeouts, walks, whip, um, hits, all that stuff is also key. Sometimes ERAs can be warped when you only pitch a certain number of innings. But um, the bottom line is Clippard and Warren have not given up many runs since they've join the Yankees uh, again. No, I know I, that was before the meltdowns. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I think Warren lately, I don't know what his number are over, numbers are over the past three weeks or so, but to me, he's been a different guy over, you know, in September. He hasn't, he hasn't pitched as well. Yeah. Clippard maybe, maybe, I'll, the... maybe I'll eat it with those, with, with what I just said in the numbers, but the eye test, he just hasn't been good. I mean, he hasn't been able to get many out. Clippard's been good the whole time. He hasn't well, really shown. Clipper, no, Clipper's been ridiculous. One earned yeah. run in 19 innings. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Good. So most of those back. stats, respect power. Most of those stats are are Clippers yeah. numbers. Well, yeah, I mean, see the fact that, and and I don't know when was that when was that tweeted out Wednesday. Yeah. Well, I mean that's pretty late. It's pretty late. It's it's very interesting the fact that they're they really haven't dropped off much when with the numbers though. It's I mean they're almost identical numbers. So I think if you were to. If you're concerned with Betances, I mean, if you sign Chapman, he's going to be your closer. If you sign Wade Davis or I don't know about Mark Melanson, you probably don't make him your closer. But if you sign Wade Davis or Aldis Chapman, that's your closer next year. You think the right. Yankees are interested in bringing in a new closer for next year? Yeah, I, I do think that they would be interested in Chapman. I could see them bringing him back. and be, Because, you know, I've talked about this in the past. I think the Yankees are, are a two-fold team. They want to bring a guy who can help them win, and they also want to bring a guy who can bring excitement and butts in the seats, and he does both. Yeah, and I think they might be able to justify more to Betances de- demoting him again if it's Chapman versus if, if it's some other guy new to the organization. Right. I I just I still have a feeling they – I mean they do see Betances as a long-term guy. Um, but you're right. If I think if Chapman were to come over and and they were to make that deal, then I mean obviously he would be the eighth inning guy, and uh, and then you got musty TV again at the end of the game. So that's really what they want, and it does help them win ball games too. So, and, and the fact that there's really nobody else out there as far as a free agent splash this coming year, I mean that could be the guy. Uh, just because I think you and I both agree that that Cashman, if he's going to make a big splash other than a, a potential closer like Chapman, that it's going to be uh, via trade. You don't sign Chapman unless you think you can win the World Series in the next two years, though. Because right. Chapman's probably he's going to get big money over four, maybe even five years. But he's getting up there in age. Um, 
he he's a win now guy. He's not a win in four years guy. So well, no, because I think one one of my big concerns with Chapman when he was here was uh, I mean, obviously he's a dominant dominant guy, but I, you know, once that fastball starts diminishing and he can't throw hard like that anymore, then he's got to rely on his secondary pitches. And and to me, when I'm looking at his secondary pitches, they're just not as good. And and I think that he's gonna struggle when that velocity starts dipping. So it's just a matter of when that happens. I mean, I know the guy's a freak of an athlete. Uh, and, and maybe he can hold on to that a lot longer than, than most think and, and that most have. But when it starts going, I think you're going you're gonna to start seeing some significant differences in the way that he gets hit because this secondary stuff you know, isn't as good. And I, I mean, for rightfully so, he hasn't had to develop it as much. He's got that 100-plus you know, mile fastball that, is, uh, that has you know, late life and is just, it's filthy. So why, why, ha- why spend all the time on, on your breaking stuff? I was actually, he's 28 years old, so he's the same age as Batansis. I thought he was older. But still, huh. it's, it's, I still believe it's a win now guy. Um, all right. Lost in the debacle on Thursday was the fact that Tanaka pitched well. Uh, and I believe last week I called him out saying that I need to see it in a must win game. And Thursday was a must win game. And he pitched seven innings, one earned run, four hits, zero strikeouts, which was kind of weird. Um, I don't know if I can remember an outing where Tanaka has zero strikeouts. Uh, he got 15 ground balls, a lot of weak contact that's um, a huge number though 15 ground outs yeah crazy it's it's i've never seen him pitch like they're pitching like a sinker baller and that's i've never seen him pitch like that um i don't care how you get the outs if you get the outs so so great um he had he struggled in i believe it was the third inning and after that really settled down i think he retired like 12 of the last 15 batters he faced uh girardi pulled him after seven innings and 93 pitches and i know girardi got a lot of shit for this but i'm actually somehow going to defend Girardi on this because it was a 5-1 to one ball game and you had a bullpen that's been very good and Girardi does not let Tanaka go up around 100 pitches very often. I went back and looked at it and in 2000 and this year, 2016, Tanaka's made 30 starts, which is remarkable that he's been that durable. I was We, at the beginning of the season, said... The biggest thing for Tanaka is can he stay healthy a whole season, and he has. But he's only pitched at least 100 pitches 10 times, so a third of the time. Last year, he pitched 100 pitches 9 of 24 times, so even less than this year. But in 2014, he reached 100 pitches 14 out of 20 times before the injury, and 14 of them came in a span of 15 games. So he was going at least 100 pitches pretty much every game in his first season. Girardi was letting him go out there and pitch. And since that elbow injury, they have kind of managed when they push him and when they don't push him. Girardi probably figured this is not a time I need to push him. I have a four-run lead with a solid bullpen, and I need six more outs. I don't need to push my my starter to go another 15 pitches when it's unnecessary. So I know Tanaka was cruising, but I understand Girardi's thinking. I can't believe I'm defending Girardi on this one, but I actually am. You're defending Girardi because it's against Tanaka. No, I'm not. If <laughs> no, it was, I'm, I'm, if just, it, I'm if, just joking. If it was I any agree. starter, no, 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 I, I, I don't, I do not uh, have any blame with Joe Girardi because this has been the track record, and we, we, we have seen him once he starts getting outside his zone, outside the his comfort zone, and you know he starts getting over 100 pitches, then he's a different, uh, different guy, um, and and this has been the way he's handled it the entire time. Five one game, win the ball game, win the ball game, and. Uh, you know, if he had left him in, how many people would be destroying him right now if he gets hit around a little bit? And that very well could have happened. I mean, you see him, you see Tanaka once he starts getting into that range, uh, leaving balls up. You see, start, you know, balls start get, uh, leaving the, the park. 
there's a number of things that could have happened that gone gone badly. You got to win that game no matter what you know, with the bullpen. So I got no problem with Joe pulling him at that point. Honestly, it's you need six outs. Go do it. Yeah, that's on the bullpen, not Girardi. Right. Uh, mailbag question from Tyler Park. He said, "Can his, I read this one?" His yeah, read his handle though. Okay, so it's uh, at Ty underscore Park eight. Ty, I'm sorry, I don't trust you already, just because you're underscore. But that's besides the point. <laughs> Tanaka now has a sub three ERA. Is a top five Cy Young contender. Pitched well in a must win game late in the year. Can Andrew finally stop making asinine complaints? I truly hope so, Tyler. I, I mean, I, I really hope that. And Andrew can look in the mirror and realize that this is a guy who is now leading the AL in ERA, literally the the, the top ERA guy in the AL. He's uh, I think he's thrown 193 innings, so he's he's going to hit 200 innings this year. This is a guy who's thrown 200 innings, leads the American League in ERA with this team, and and is uh, you know everybody's looking at him as a Cy Young contender. I really do hope Andrew has come to his senses. We'll uh, see though. I will, first of all, Tyler, thanks for the mailbag, but I will never stop making asinine complaints. Uh, that's just in my <laughs> That's nature. true. That is true. <laughs> um, you better hope Masahiro Tanaka does not win the Cy Young because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen if he wins the Cy Young. After next season, he's going to opt out of his contract, and then the stupid Yankees are going to give him a five-year, $120 million extension, and we're going to be stuck with this guy until he's 36 years old. I do not want that to happen. I actually don't think they would give it to him. Oh my God, of course they would. They gave it to CC Sabathia, and he wasn't even good anymore when he opted out. Yeah, but CC Sabathia didn't have elbow injuries. I don't think they would give it to him. I don't think they'd give him a five-year well, extension. He's going right? to opt out, and he's going to be only 28 years old when he opts out. Yeah. I, you know, I think the elbow factor is going to is, would deter a lot of people, and I think it would actually deter the Yankees from doing that. I mean, just because of the – it seems like Brian Cashman is finally making some, some of the calls, I, and I, I don't think it. Cashman would do it. If he opts yeah. out, I, w- I would be fine with letting him walk. Um, or if they only want to extend him one season, I would be fine with that. But I think he's going to be looking for basically a new seven-year contract because that's what pitchers get on the What's market. the contract if he doesn't opt out? Uh, he continues to make, I think, $22.5 million uh, for three more seasons after that. Okay. So he'd be looking at $25 million a year for five-plus years if he was a free agent at 20 years old. I mean, look what Zach Greinke got, and he was 30. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, I don't think he's going to win the Cy Young. I, I don't think it's it's going to be I, – I think if the Yankees – do not make the playoffs. Well, Cy Young, the they don't. That doesn't matter. I think it does. I think it, in the back of minds. It I does. think for MVP it matters, but for Cy Young, I mean, um, Felix Hernandez won for the Mariners a couple years ago, and they stunk. They finished in the last place, and he had like an eleven and twelve record or something like that. Yeah, I don't remember who. I remember noting that in my brain. I can't pull out any stats or <laughs> or names because my memory is completely screwed. But. Then there was no other clear leader, right? There was nobody in there with 20 wins and a, a low ERA. Right. You got uh, Rick Porcello. Yeah, that's, that's who's going to win. Somehow has 20 wins. Right. Uh, I don't know how in God's name <laughs> I looked up and there were 20 wins under his belt. I, I don't know how that happened, but he's going to well, win Cy Young. I'll tell you how that happens. The Red Sox have four it's, guys in that lineup who have 90 plus RBIs. Yeah, but he's no, he's got a good AR, ERA as well. Yeah. And he's got a three something like well, low threes look around the league Cole Hamels has been good all year and the Rangers are in first place Chris Sale and Jose Quintana yeah. have been good all year Porcello has 20 wins 
Um, there's a there's like like uh, Tyler said, Tanaka's probably in the five to seven range of, or f- probably top five of pitchers to get the Cy Young this year. Yeah, he's in the conversation. He's not going to win it, but he's in the conversation. And the fact that he's in the conversation should, uh, you know, is is good for him. He's had a hell of a year. He really has. And I think he's he's exceeded all of our expectations. There's no doubt about that. All of our expectations have been exceeded by him. He's been durable. And look, he's a 200 inning guy. The durability is guy. That's shocking me. I mean, you you're even shocked by that, right? Oh yeah, I'm 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 absolutely shocked by the durability and the fact that he's thrown 200 innings. Um, and well, not yet. <laughs> well, I mean, he's he's right there. The 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 fact that he's done that to an under three ERA is extremely impressive. Um, so are you ready? You got to admit, I, I need you to, I need you no. to give some some credit to Masahiro Tanaka. No, I did. I said he pitched great in a must-win game, and no, no, I need you up. to give credit on the overall season. Look no, at him; yes. he's leading this the, the the American League in ERA. It's been a great season, great season you, for him. I, undoubtedly, the Yankees' best pitcher. There's no question about that. He's. I've never said he's a bad pitcher. People are are getting on me because I'm saying he's not a true ace. Like I'm calling him like Clay Buckholtz or something. Yeah, well, when the you come out and you a, say that you have no confidence in a guy who was leading the American League in, in ERA, has a ridiculous win-loss record when he pitches for the Yankees, that you have zero confidence in pitching a big zero, game. I didn't say zero. I said five. Five out of ten. Fifty percent confidence. Okay, that's that's zero when you're talking about a number one pitcher. That's What's a zero. I mean, yes, it is. It's are, zero. Are you, you might as well be the for, Oakland A's. Are you ready for my, my complaint about Tanaka? I, no, nobody gotta, wants to hear it anymore. Week. No, nobody wants to I hear think, it. I think people are going to like this one. So I don't, the, I don't think anybody wants to hear it. Here's a reason why he's not in the ace category of a uh, Kershaw or a Bumgarner or, or any of the guys in the league. That the you, guys that are going to be in the Hall of Fame. Okay, keep going. Right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But that's what people are okay. calling him this year. That people are saying he's the best pitcher in the league, and he's just flat out not. And the reason he's not, I can't call him a true ace, is because the dude can't go over a hundred pitches. Uh, you don't have to. You shouldn't have to manage your ace and take him out of a game with 93 pitches. I agreed with Girardi that he had to do it because that's the situation they're in with Tanaka. But you should be able to let your ace go out there and pitch a hundred. A hundred pitches is not a lot of pitches. I'm not asking him to throw 145 pitches. I'm just saying you should be. Hundred is the hundred is is a lot these days. A hundred is a lot. Plenty of pitchers. That's where you're wrong. You're saying 104. You're, you're exaggerating the top right there. You're exaggerating the top like that. Get, like people get to that all the time. But you should not have the case. to be afraid of your ace going to say 106 pitches or something like that. People which are is probably they're, they're what afraid of Kershaw be. doing it now. This year, I but guarantee not, this they're going to be having of his gloves back, on with Kershaw because of his back. But in the last oh, so five he's had seasons, injuries and they're doing it. But right. In the last it's five a, seasons, he has pitched every start. A hundred pitches yeah. every time. Well, let's see if we're singing the same tune. Let's see if you're singing the same tune next year and the year after that. When when Kershaw has shown that he can have an injury, I guarantee that the gloves are going to be on with Kershaw from now on. No matter if he can do it or not, the organization, because of the money spent, and that is the biggest thing, you calling somebody an ace is very relative because a lot of the decisions are being made by the contract. So and because this, of the contract and keeping them healthy is more of a priority than having them throw 113 pitches compared to 95 pitches or 90 pitches or 100 pitches. So it's just a very big difference. Am I kind of acting like Goose Gossage, get off my lawn, where yeah, back, yes. in the, back in the day, pitchers used to go 120 pitches? Yeah, it doesn't happen anymore. You're, you're, it sucks. You're, 
This is this is the problem with you, I think. So now we're paying starters are out of twenty-five. We're, now we're paying starters twenty-five to thirty-five million dollars a year to have to treat them with kid gloves and take them out yes. after ninety-three pitches because we can't yeah, let our ace go over hundred pitches or else. And it's get a, a double-edged sword. It's because they're throwing, pay, paying them so we much money. We got pitchers like uh, Rich Hill getting blisters. We've got pitchers who can't go over hundred pitches, like Tanaka with elbow soreness. It's freaking asinine. I hate it. It's a pussified society. It is. And the fact that the money is there and there's an entire, uh, you know, the, the organization is dependent on these 22 to $30 million contracts yearly. They're going to treat them like with kid gloves because of that. That money is guaranteed. If these Now, look, we'd be sitting at very different tune. And we, I think we would see a very, very different, uh, different landscape of baseball and pitching if these contracts were not guaranteed. I do think that we'd see a lot more guys going way higher. Because they're not guaranteed contracts anymore. Then you'd really see what guys were made of. Then you'd see Bumgarner going out there and throwing 140, 150 pitches. Well, then maybe you But they're guaranteed. That's what the, it is. Maybe you wouldn't have the pitchers themselves being willing to do it. It's a guaranteed contract for that year. I mean, they, they're going to do it. They, they want to get their next contract, right? They want to be a difficult person. The fact of the matter is the money tied to these guys is so immense now and so damning long-term if they get hurt that they're going to... It's it's coming from the top. You know that it's coming from the top. Yeah. That they're I guarantee they have a pitch, a, a number of pitches in their brain for the end of the year on where they want to see him. They have an innings and they have a, a pitch number, and that's what's uh, you know. There's meetings that happen before the year, and they say they give ranges and they say this is where we want him to be. This is where we're comfortable. That's what's happening. Somewhere, so you, Nolan, I don't know how much you can blame Tanaka on that. Somewhere, Nolan Ryan is sitting with a giant dip in his lip spitting into a cup <laughs> calling people pussies yep you're right um let's backtrack to that dodgers series um it was kind of odd to see a giant la dodgers flag out in left field wasn't it i think 2,000 fans showed up of dodger fans they kind of took over the left field lower level yeah um it was like it was un- the- unacceptable in my mind i mean what do you do boo them you Okay, in the you old could boo stadium, them, fine. that would not in the old stadium that would have not happened. Ten years ago, that wouldn't have happened. Okay, <laughs> Again, the old stadium. We can't bully people anymore. So <laughs> back in the day, you could bully people. This is and more be, pussification. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. You can't, you you can't, can't have your pitchers go 100 and pitches, and you can't bully people out of stadiums. I hate You're it. Damn right. What is this yeah. society coming to? O'Doyle, O'Doyle does not rule any longer. Um, they were loud. And clear. I mean, the Dodger, the 2000 Dodgers fans were louder than the rest of the Yankee fans there. It's a goddamn shame, and it needs to change. And, and, and I think point, we should do something about it. On Monday, the Yankees had not lost six of seven games at that point. This, this, we were, cl- we were calling last week for the Yankees fans to start getting back on this bandwagon. And what happens Monday night? Uh, a bunch of Dodger fans show up. Was this like a fan contingent from yeah. like a website or something like yeah, that? Yeah, they, they've done this That we too. can start a fight with? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they have a Twitter handle. I don't remember it. I didn't write it down. Um, yeah. They, uh, they were at Billy's before the game. They were in a sea. There was like a sea of blue, Dodger blue at Billy's. Over, over, overtook the, uh, the bar. Wow. They, uh, they've done this in a bunch of stadiums. But I think uh, this Yankees one was their biggest turnout. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's um, 
It's 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 definitely that flag was massive. How do you even get into the stadium with that uh, yeah, thing that, I was gonna that ask size? That. That's that's my question. That that's that flag that should have been vetoed from the stadium. There's no doubt about that. that that's where like it should have ended. A whole section that was like 20 rows of flag. How yeah, does that's that get a in big the ass flag. Like there's not one person carrying that in in a backpack. And imagine being under that flag if you're a Yankees fan. I would I would kill somebody. Yeah. That's oh I didn't even think about that. Like if you're just stuck in the middle. Yeah, of that, no, I would that, be I, at that point. I would have been irate and I would have been belligerent and uh, and the flag. There would have been a very big rip in that flag. There would have been an issue. So there much flag talk. Been an issue. Colin Kaepernick not standing for the national anthem. Dodger flag at Yankee Stadium. Flags are taking over over the the pop culture these days. Yeah, the Dodger flag and the 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 American flag are very different things though. <laughs> <laughs> um. Something the Yankees have not been able to do since, really, the Dodger series is pass around that WWE-style world champs belt. Um, CC got it in that game, that Dodgers game, when he pitched great, didn't get the win, but the Yankees came back late. Uh, Didi and, was it Ellsbury and Didi hit the home runs? Um, so this kind of came out of nowhere. I Some people said they saw it on Snapchat. I don't have a Snapchat. Um, I guess I'm too old for Snapchat. Uh, but the Yankees have been passing around a world champs belt for the MVP of the game. I loved it at the time. I thought that's the kind of crap that brings teams together. Uh, it's stuff like that where you start to see wins on the field. Uh, it hasn't really materialized last week, though. Yeah, it was like Pedro's midget. The one who always have it on his shoulder. Yep. That, that little dude. Yep. It was a... <laughs> not yeah, a midget. The midget word is no longer. The midget word is... trouble for saying yeah, midget. You can't say midget. Yeah. The fact that you can't the, say a hundred pitches and you can't say midget. <laughs> the fact that there's, you know, just one of those things that they're passing around. Yeah, it's a cool clubhouse thing, and I, it's probably brought on by some of the kids that came up. And uh, yeah, that, that and, has and brought, Judge brought written all over it, right? Yeah, I mean, let's let's be honest. A Rod and and Beltron and these guys are not bringing in something fun like that. It's not. It, w- it was a very no fun clubhouse. There's no doubt about it when all these guys were there. But I thought now, last year they were kind of having fun. Yeah, Remember, but you the, know who was the, doing it? It was when they came up. was when Slade Heath got hit that home JR, run. JR, you got JR don't Murphy. Call him, don't call yeah. him JR. Can't say, yeah. can't say the JR When either. John Ryan Murphy was dumping beers on everybody and he was just like hammered in the dugout. Like this is a guy that was trying to have fun. A young but kid. A-Rod, you remember A-Rod's quotes last year talking about how it was like a college atmosphere and the young guys right. were, were mixing with the, the old guys and it was kind of like a frat atmosphere? And that's exactly what's happening now. It's, it's when the young guys come up. Got, That's why I expect next year to be good, phenomenal. Good, good stuff for next year. Um, yeah. Let the kids take over the leadership in the clubhouse. That's why I think Didi is the perfect guy because he's, he's a veteran, but he's still young. Yeah, and Carlos Castro. Beltran love- is a dinosaur. Carlos Beltran is a freaking dinosaur. Yeah. Um, he's country five breakfast. years older than me. Country <laughs> breakfast is also a dinosaur. I, I love a country breakfast, though, I must say. The fact that you have the, the nickname country breakfast, it's so specific. <laughs> Does not fit for for the Bronx in New York though. I feel like country breakfast. You need to be paying, playing in the Midwest. Cardinals. Yeah, you're a Kansas Cardinals City guy. Kansas, exactly. It was Kansas. That's City. where he got it. Do you remember when uh, Robbie Cano didn't select Billy Butler for the home run derby in Kansas City? And uh, oh yeah, that was when Kansas City was all crazy with their with their voting. Well, this was before. No, this was before they even um, went to the playoffs. This was the year before they were good. But did they did, did they not vote everybody in that year when they were because no, 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 uh, no. it was in Kansas City right? No, they, last year is the year they voted everybody in. Like uh, yeah. their um, who was their shorts? Al, um, Alcides Escobar, right? He's Escobar, yeah. He's yeah. batting like two twenty, and he was a starting shortstop. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Country Breakfast, though, was struggling with the A's all season. He had a 685 OPS against left-handed pitchers this year, which, just for a little context, was just about as bad as A-Rod had this year. And uh, the Yankees signed him to a guaranteed major league contract for the rest of the season. That does not mean they owe him anything other than a prorated yeah. league minimum salary. He's still getting his 10 or 12 million bucks from the Oakland A's. You, you, you know how bad he was? Billy Bean and the cheap Oakland A's agreed not to uh, have you on your team anymore. Yeah, that's that's surprising, the fact that the he's paid for another year and they got rid of him. And rather than trying to at least salvage something in the offseason, I, I, you know, you're this this close to the end. You'd think that you'd hold on to the dude and try to at least salvage well, a little bit of something, some you know cash, why? some cash. He got in a little clubhouse altercation with Danny Valencia. Yeah, with Danny Valencia, okay. <laughs> do, you know, do, do you know the story? So I, Danny, I've read the I read the article. Danny Valencia was wearing. So he was supposed to be sponsored by a, a, a sponsor to wear a sp- specific cleat, but he was wearing a different type of cleat. And Billy Butler ratted on him to the sponsor. He wanted that. He wanted that sponsorship, baby. <laughs> that's a dick move. It's all about by the Butler, dollar. Though. Come on, it's all about the Benjamin. That's a dick move. And uh, Valencia punched him. And because was it Butler, like it was it like a like a Geno Smith punch? You get knocked out. I don't know, I don't know. But that was the you best have to wire his jaw back together. Uh, but because Butler was only batting like a six eighty five OPS, and he got sucker punched by Valencia, they decided to cut him. Um, probably no spot for the Yankees next year. He might get a better contract from a different team. We never know. Uh, he's had a couple good games since being put into the lineup in Fenway, which is ironic. Yeah, he hasn't been too bad. Uh, but he's kind of like a 2001 player trapped in a, you know, he's kind of b- belongs in the era of 2001, not 2016. He's a slow dude. He He's an on-base percentage guy. He is not a 2016 baseball player. No, you need to be an athlete now. Yeah, that I, I, I compared him when I first saw him, when the first game I saw him, I tweeted out that he looked to me, reminded me of a, a right-handed Lance Berkman when Berkman right. was with the Yankees. Except Berkman was a, a filthy hitter in his prime. Yeah, no, but I'm talking about, yeah, Butler was a pretty good hitter. You know, he had a couple of good years. But I'm saying as a Yankee, that's what he looked like. They were, they were both a little overweight. They were old, a lot slower. And uh, uh, that's, that's just kind of what he reminded me of. Um. All right, final bit of news here is that the Yankees announced they will host a ceremony for David Big Poppy Ortiz on September 29th. And excuse me while I go vomit. Yeah, you know, the ceremonies, you said something about in that article you wrote. And it was maybe it was in one of the social headlines too. Just like, can we can we stop with these ceremonies? I mean, it's getting ridiculous. It's it's annoying. It's, uh, you know, when he comes to our stadium, you know what? We could tip our cap at one point. Maybe there could be something along those lines. But for some reason, like, that's a guy. I, to me, see, I'm, I'm different, I think, than a lot of people in the sense that if there's a guy that has been a thorn in our side for years and years and years, I, I'd say Dr- uh, Jeter was like that for the Red Sox. But he's always done everything the right way. But he's I hate just like, that, though. Oh. But hold on, hold on. Competition-wise, like, uh, a guy that's a thorn in your side, like, I, I have no problem tipping my cap at the end of the guy. Because I, there's a respect there. I don't have respect for Ortiz, in the sense that I, I think he's a. I don't think he's a great person. I think he's a. You know he selfish. he defi- he's selfish. The fact that he, uh, you know, he was on these lists and then he goes after some of these other guys like he's not yeah. in the same boat. Like what, what are you doing? You Calls are in the same, yeah. You're, you're in that same boat, dude. When so he that, is like the poster child for PEDs. The dude 
got cut by the Minnesota Twins because he sucked so bad and then comes over to the Red Sox and hits 500 home runs. That is the poster boy for steroids. And then he calls out these players. If this was a scenario where we're having, you know, uh, where Dustin Pedroyo, this is my my comparison, if he were retiring, like Pedroyo's been a guy that's been like a pain in our ass for a long time. He's been a guy that's been really good and he's always been a pain in the ass. He's a little dude, plays his ass off. I have a lot of respect for Dustin Pedroia because of the the way he plays the game. That's a guy that I would stand up and I would clap for because you know what? I respect you. The fact that you've been a, a pain in my ass, you know, I've I've hated you, but at the same time I respect it and and good for you. Good good career. Now go away from me. <laughs> you know, like that's the guy that I would I would applaud for. I, I would have no problem with a guy like that. Ortiz is a different animal and 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 it bothers me. I got a lot of stuff on social media, people saying that uh, I was wrong. I wrote an article saying the Yankees should not honor David Ortiz. There was a lot of both, though. There was, yeah, a, there lot was a lot of both. both. But all the people saying, well, they gave Jeter and Mariano celebrations. And to that, I say they shouldn't have. But they did. Well, what about the freaking painting that they gave Mariano about what the about one the that the fact he... that they played a highlight of him getting walked off on in the 2004 yeah, ALCS? Yeah, exactly. It was, a, it, was a, it was also in jest. It was a bunch of bullshit. Uh, that but, one pissed me off. But they, they did give him – but – but it's a totally different situation with Ortiz. I, I don't understand how you could be a Yankees fan and this does not piss you off. I don't want to know you as a Yankees fan if this doesn't piss you off. The dude not only was a douche about the whole steroid things, he's been a jackass when he smashes telephones in the clubhouse, barges into uh, press conferences demanding that the official score give him back an RBI. He said with his own mouth, quoted <laughs> that I don't want a farewell tour. I would never do anything like that like Derek Jeter is doing. Flash forward a year and a half and the dude's on a farewell tour. How is this not an asshole? How are we how does everybody ignore the fact that David Ortiz is not a jackass? I don't get it. I just don't get it. Cuz I think the people that are a lot of people that are talking about this aren't the ones that are like super big Yankee fans and they don't know everything about the background. They just see him as a guy that was good against us and why why not honor a guy that was good against us and had a good career like and that to me that's where i that's where i present your my my pedroia argument uh, would you have a problem with pedroia getting something like that would you would you stand up and uh, i wouldn't pedroia? like it because i'm just sick of ceremonies but i would i would i wouldn't be i wouldn't say the yankees shouldn't do it right but you see, but you see a very big difference in the two oh, players of course yeah. and, and oh, even though they the were fact, very similar thorns in the side not only the fact that ortiz is still to this day murdering you why Why do we still pitch to him? Why have we always pitched to him? I don't get it. I, I never understood that. I don't that. get it. He has always killed us. As he was killing us on Thursday and Friday and Saturday, Yankees ownership was planning a ceremony for him. How does that uh, not make you sick to your stomach if you're a Yankees fan? Well, the fact that it's him is what, is what does it. I just don't understand why they pitched to him for as many years as they did. I, I never understood that. But they always would throw to him. Yeah, I'm not saying David Ortiz... His has not had a great career. The dude has had an unbelievable career, and I think he probably should be in the Hall of Fame. I know people say DH shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, which is bullshit. But I think he's done enough offensively and in the playoffs where he should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't care about the steroids. I think Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens should also be in the Hall of Fame. And I would put Ortiz on the list of guys who are on the steroid list, just like A-Rod. But those dudes were the best players of their era. But that does not mean we have to hold a freaking ceremony for him. Watching him receive a stupid gift. It's going to be like a framed. It's going to be the framed. Another another birthday uh, cake? The framed (laughs) David Ortiz jersey that that Red Sox fan buried under the new Yankees. Yeah, you're right. Or something. 
being like, really corny like that because that's yeah. all these ceremonies are is they're corny and it's gonna he's gonna be accepting it on the interlocking NY of Yankee Stadium. How does that that not piss you off? If you want to set out a press release saying David Ortiz has had a great career and the Yankees would like to make a donation to his charity for ten thousand dollars or whatever, I'd be fine with that. I, I'm not. I don't want to take away from a good cause or anything like that. But that doesn't mean we have to go and honor him on the field. It's a huge difference. As a fan of the Yankees, as a diehard fan, I don't want to have to watch that horse shit. They didn't do it for a Rod, did they? No. Where's Teixeira's farewell tour? Where's Ter- yeah? Where's Teixeira's farewell tour? It's unbelievable. It and people are saying, "Oh, fake outrage, fake outrage." No, it's it's legit. I'm pissed off about it. It's it makes me. It's just the guy's an asshole. That's the bottom line. Yeah. <sighs> All right. And uh, I have insider information that he did do steroids. What? What? Hundred percent. That he was on the list. No, that like someone knew. Yeah, I knew a guy that pitched for the Norfolk Tides. Oh, this is getting who played good. with him many times. That knew he did it. Let's get it. All right, tell the story. Tell the story. I can't. I can't. You don't have to name names. Yeah, well, the, I, okay. So there was a guy pitching for the Tides. He was on a rehab situation. He was uh, uh, of of Hispanic descent. I knew one of the guys. I was I'm good friends with a buddy, uh, one of my buddies in Norfolk, when I was in school, who would uh, who would like do things for these guys when they were in town. It's very like, common they were for gophers? a lot of the. They were gophers. Yeah, but it's it's very common for a lot of the guys in the minor leagues when uh, because a lot of them don't speak very good English. They go to these towns. They don't know what to do. These guys help them out. They're usually like. If they're Dominican, they're Dominican, or if they're Venezuelan, these guys are Venezuelan. Like this guy was a, a Venezuelan guy and knew a lot of the Dominican guys. And I went to lunch with this guy with the pitcher uh, the next day with my buddy, and we spent all day together. <laughs> I mean, we went, we had, we we started at lunch and ended at three in the morning at a bar with him salsa dancing at a on a stage. It was a ridiculous day. And in that term, we called Ortiz on his cell phone, talked to him, got verification of just like the the friendship. And then he was telling me all sorts of stories. And one of them was absolutely David Ortiz steroids. Yeah, uh, great. It's a hilarious story, but obviously. But I don't really care that he did steroids because I think it was a But it's the thing. fact that he just denies it's, everything yes, and then acts exactly. like he doesn't do it. He's like a golden god above everybody else. Exactly. And he I can't acts handle that. like he's holier than thou yes. and above everyone else is what pisses me off. And the reason that we don't, get on Andy Pettit is because he took ownership of it he and apologized. It. Yes. And, and it was just HGH. And people are saying, is bullshit. And people are saying <laughs> like, oh, well, you have no problem honoring Andy Pettit. I have no problem the Yankees honoring Andy Pettit. I wouldn't expect the Red Sox to honor Andy Pettit. And just like I expect the Red Sox to honor David Ortiz and retire his number and put him in the Red Sox Hall of Fame. All that crap. Fantastic. Just like we did for Andy Pettit and any of our other steroid users. But... Let's not honor each other's steroid users, please. It's Roger. He's in the box. He's not going. He's uh. in George's box. <laughs> Susan, I got to mention Susan this week. I was listening to the game on Wednesday on the way home from work. It was the rain delay games. And Susan loves her weather app that tells her how long the rain delays <laughs> are going to be. It's 12 minutes. John, it says it's going to be 12 minutes and then the rain is going to stop. 45 minutes later. Still raining. I guess my weather app was wrong. I don't know how my weather app could be wrong. I looked I looked at what the weather app she's using. It's like a $5 weather app. Hilarious. But yeah. you read my Twitter timeline for play-by-play of Susan's uh, rain delay updates. It's and, and gold, speaking of Jerry the, Gold. 
speaking of the dynamic duo, uh, Sterling was especially bad on I think Saturday. Saturday it was. I was listening yeah. as well. Could oh not my, my god! Names. I was watching and then I was doing work in the yard and doing watching and holy cow! I mean, he just called Xander Bogarts home run, Hanley Ramirez. Hanley which Ramirez. I guess PTSD from Hanley Ramirez crushing the Yankees all series. Yeah, and then uh, he kept saying Romine, but he Sanchez didn't catch it till the next inning. <laughs> right? Yeah. I even tweeted because I was kind of half listening. I was at the beach. I was kind of half listening. So I tweeted like, oh, Hanley Ramirez murdering the Yankees again. And then someone replied. And then you're getting ripped because yeah, you're tweeting Someone replied, what the hell are you talking about? And then the next inning, uh, Sterling's like, oh, I made a huge mistake. I'm like, God damn it, Sterling. <laughs> you're making me look bad on Twitter now, Sterling. <laughs> it's now it's affecting things, me. It's one of those things you have to be watching the game on game day, uh, you know, the game day app or something when you're listening because he's wrong 25% of the time. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, the amount of times that Romine was, uh, though the, the Sanchez was catching, even when in fact it was Romine. I mean, it's it it was five or six times. It was it was bad. It's getting bad. It's I, like, and I'm an apologist. I love these. I love them. But you know, there's a, there's a a time and there's a, a point where it's getting too bad, where you can't make that many mistakes that it's taking away from the broadcast, and it's starting to get to that point. I agree. And yeah. it's getting late in the season, just like Batances. He's probably a little gassed. Yeah. Maybe we need to send some PEDs his way. I mean, why not? Just meaning caffeine. Why not? We saw him. He was a, he needs some food, too. <laughs> he looked too. frail. Yeah. We saw him down in spring training. He looked frail. All right. Um, thanks, everyone, who submitted mailbag questions. And uh, let's uh, end the show with a little NFL talk. Uh, also, I want to shout out our Fantasy Football League. We mentioned it last week. But there are 10 players other than us in the league. Joseph, CJ, Brandon, Eddie, Julio, Donald, David, John, Christian, and Devin are all in the league. Um, I'm in an epic battle with Joe's McFly, Joseph, right now. I have not checked it since we started recording, but uh, he just got a return touchdown out of his defense, which is always fun when you're going up in fantasy. Uh, I but yeah, John last week in epic in epic fashion. John, I'm sorry I had to do that to you, but it had to be done. And then this week, whew, it's getting bad again. It's uh, Julio. I'm I'm up by uh, 50 plus points. I mean, I'm pretty much just rolling through this league so far. Someone's got to come at, come at me, come at me, bro. Um, any come stop me? Any week two NFL thoughts? Your Jets pulled out one against the newly fat Rex Ryan. You see, he get it. He got his lap band removed so he could eat a bunch of wings with his brother. Did he get it removed or did yeah. it pop? No, he got it. He got it, it, it removed. surgically removed. He got it removed. Yeah, well, his brother is there, so his brother is is uh, is eating for the, the both of Bills them. Bills are ridiculous. Owing to, yeah, how is his brother still employed in the league? Every defense he goes to sucks. It's been terrible. Yeah, and how does the how does Greg Roman get fired and and his brother stays on the staff? It's embarrassing. Um, um you the, know how like te- I mean the Bills are owing to everyone's saying that Rex Ryan is going to be uh, first coach to get fired. You know how teams like coaches, Hardo coaches, will bury footballs to like motivate their offense or motivate yep. their their team. They should bury Rex Ryan's lap band. Oh boy, <laughs> it was a good win. I mean, the fact of the matter is that they uh, they should have won by a lot more, and they let the bull, the the Bulls back in the game. <laughs> they let the Bills back in the game, and uh, yeah, they should have won by a lot more. But they came back and, and they uh, and they played well. I think um, Fitzgerald that was a big game for Fitzgerald because he was going back to back to uh, to Buffalo to to win a game. Fitzpatrick. What did I say? Fitzgerald. Fitzpatrick. I was gonna say Baltimore too. I think I'm having a seizure right now. Jesus Christ! <laughs> um, it was so long ago. The uh, it was a, it was a hell of a game though. And Forte is the guy that I thought he was gonna be. I mean, this is a dude that still has. I'd say I'd say another year after this, 
he he still looks like the same guy to me in in Chicago that he was where he can run between the tackles and he can catch and everybody was like oh why are you bringing in another guy that's a clone of Bilal Powell he's not a clone of Bilal Powell Bilal Powell cannot run between the tackles Forte can he glides he's like Arian Foster in the way that they kind of glide between the tackles it's it's uh, it's impressive the way that they work. The Jets and he do can catch the ball out of the back. The Jets have the a legit. The Jets are looking like they have a legit offense. And Brandon Marshall, I thought his season was over when he went down with that knee injury. So did I. Um, I did too. But uh, he seemed to be healthy somehow, running around like nothing happened. I don't understand how players can go down with those type of knee. Like, how does a knee bend like that and you're able to get up and walk? Does it baffles yeah. my mind? Well, but, and the fact that he like you go down and he's 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 there's so much just uh, everybody thinks he's done. It's amazing how they can come right back, but I guess they just take it. They take it as as, as the worst possible thing from the beginning, yeah. And then they go back and they test it, and they're like, "Okay, it's fine." <laughs> well, that's also one of those things that probably hurts way worse the next day. Yeah, that's true. Um, but the Jets are looking like they have a legit offense. Um, Revis is looking a little ancient, but yeah, he was looking old. I, I want. I need to see a couple more. I mean, I understand that he got burned by AJ Green. He's a good receiver. Look, Revis is not the same guy he was a couple years ago. There's no, there's just no question about okay, it. But, but he got burned by a guy who is not really a football player. He's just an Olympic track athlete. Okay, okay exactly. No, you, <laughs> you shouldn't just said get this. burned. No, no, you shouldn't get burned by a guy like that. You it was a by fly AJ route. Green, but you shouldn't get was burned a by a guy route. who's not really a football player. It was a fly route. They do just sprinted. I what I think that Revis was thinking in his brain is that uh, Tyrod Taylor is not going to put the ball there. He's not going to overthrow me. That's what I think he thought. I think he was more on the quarterback than the guy with the speed. And the fact of the matter of the ball actually did get there and the kid does have world-class speed. So, you know, the rest but is history. But should be a good uh, AFC East between the Jets and the Patriots. It looks like the Dolphins are choking dogs and same with the Bills. The, um, Dolphins are a bunch of pieces. They suck. <laughs> they, I mean, they really do. I mean, they, you spend all that money, you do all those things on your defense, and then Jimmy freaking Garofalo, Garoppolo, whatever the – not Jimmy even him. Gar- he went Jimmy down. Garofalo. He went down with then, a shoulder injury. He got him up twenty-one nothing. And then the third round rookie from where? Louisville? Is that where he's from? Yeah, Jacoby Brisket. Yeah, I mean, come on. It's just, it's. I hate the Patriots so much <laughs> because they just insert, insert said white guy, insert said quarterback, and it doesn't matter. They have an. Epic. The guy's got to be a white guy. He's got to be a white guy in the slot. That that is it. Okay, that's well, absolutely also, has now, to now they have an outside white receiver, Hogan. I mean, they just have an all t- all pro white receiver, like an all time white offense. It's unbelievable. Bill Belichick gets more out of white receivers than any coach ever, all yeah. time, no yeah. doubt about it. I think we said last week he grows them on trees out back. I don't insert. Know. West I think Walker, they're all related. Insert, they're all related. Somebody insert Edelman. Insert Amendola. Insert Hogan. It's just, it's just a. And train before that, of- Welker. Yeah, and they're yeah. and a lot of them are, are Miami defuncts. Welker was a defunct. Hogan was Miami. Welker was in the stands at Gillette today wearing the Brady mask. That's pretty funny. <laughs> the dude is so concussed and so hopped up on ecstasy. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, the, the Patriots are frustrating for anybody who doesn't like the Patriots yes, because I, they just it just doesn't stop the I machine. Can see that. And the Giants got a good win too. Uh, ugly, ugly win. But they, they got the W. They played defense against Breezy and and uh, Br- yeah, Breezy didn't a, do anything. Somehow a defensive struggle. Do you remember that game last year between the two teams? Was yeah, like it was crazy. They set touchdowns. records. Yeah, I think uh, Breeze threw seven touchdowns. Yeah. Um. All right. So a lot of lot of frustration out of Yankees this week. Um. Are you are you officially calling them dead in the playoffs? No, I'm not. I told you this. We've we've already gone over this. Unreal. Yeah, I They're, wanted to get your final thoughts after we talked about talked about it all. 
you just never know. You never know. And that's what I'm putting my I'm hanging my hat on. Am I going to watch it like they're going to win? No. I'm going to say anything if if they win, if they do this, I wouldn't put it past them because they've done it before. They had a uh, you know, a seven-game win streak. Now they've lost 6 to 7. Let's see what can happen against who we got Tampa Bay coming up and we got there's still a good amount of games against the division coming up. Well, the fact still that amount of good games. Castro and Ellsbury might be done for the season doesn't really help. That could help. be a big deal. No, that's a yeah, that's a big. Those guys are those guys are injured. Not that Ellsbury has been. I mean, he's been a lot better in the last month. And Castro in the second half of the season, second half Starlin is phenomenal. I mean, this guy is amazing. He's a he's a he's a phenomenal baseball player. First half Starlin needs to work on his game. Well, so second you're taking Starlin. your cleanup hitter and your number two hitter out of the lineup yeah. potentially. For no, the that's a big year, deal. So I, I if those guys can't play and they can't come back. I, I, I don't see any realistic opportunity for them to wing up. You know, they, but they have to put a huge winning streak together. I don't think they're doing it without those guys. I mean, there's no doubt. All right, good stuff. We'll talk to you guys next week. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.